Okay, we're going to look at a few passages tonight, and I started to tell you one, but I'll, we'll, we'll start in Genesis 1. We'll just start at the beginning, all right? <laughs> Not the very beginning, though. I'm going to go a few verses down. Um, but we're, we're continuing our grace-filled life study, and uh, I want to, the couple, last couple sessions that we're going to have here, um, I want to focus in on marriage, and uh, boy, you know, you, you hear it said uh, often today by proponents of biblical, I would say biblical marriage, in the, in the media they say traditional marriage a lot, but, but uh, for us it's, it's what God says that matters, so I mean we think in terms of what is biblical, it, it is traditional as well, but, but uh, you, you hear, it say, hear it said a lot that it's the, uh, the, the foundation of a, of a civil, civilization, <clears throat> that's that's true. Um, extremely important, and that's why that's why the destruction of marriage, as as we know it, is is uh, so serious. Um, but I, I just want to talk a little bit about the uh, the the relationship aspect. Um, of course, we're going to look at some a little bit of foundational stuff here. But but because we're talking about the grace filled life, we're going to be primarily focusing on the relationship aspect between uh, husband and wife. Uh, so, I'm going to um, use a little outline here that I've, I've taken from this book that we went through recently called um, When Sinners Say I Do. And we did that in our Tuesday night study. And, uh, boy, I wish I could retain like a hundred percent of it because the book was that good <laughs> i mean it was just really really good uh, this is, so i'll probably you you may hear me reference that book from time to time because it was just packed packed full very gospel centered um approach it was very good all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give you just by way of an outline here just some kind of three components of a biblical and, and these three things i'm i'm gonna be doing this in my own wording but these three um what the author of that book calls components of a of a biblical theology of marriage um, these three things are coming from that book the foundation the fountain and the focus and we'll come back and talk about what those are so, in, in other words, in terms of marriage, the foundation of marriage, the fountain of marriage, and the focus of marriage. So, I'm going to start, of course, with the foundation uh, of marriage, and that is the Bible. And in other words, when, when we think in terms of our marriage relationship, it, it has to be built on, founded upon, built on the Bible. Um, so, it's, it's, this is one of those things. I, I put a, uh, a quote on... Uh, Facebook today that actually from R.C. Sproul, but I but I I got it today out of that book um, by uh, Harvey Dave Dave Harvey. I was trying to think of his name. Uh, when sinners say I do, but R.C. Sproul made made the the comment that the issue for Christians is not whether or not we should be theologians. Uh, the issue for Christians is whether we will be good theologians or bad ones. In other words, he's just simply saying, we ought to know our Bible. 
and and then our life, of course, ought to be um, ought to be built on that. And so, certainly, that's the case with marriage too. The Bible informs us about the nature and purpose of marriage, and, and again, that's kind of where I'm going to focus in on because that's what's going to help us with uh, in, in terms of thinking about relationships. And it's an instruction manual for marriage. So, so you, you think about um, this. Uh, you, you know, I got a, a, I bought a weed eater the other day, and I, I don't look at instructions very much, but you know, sometimes you, you run across something that you, that you. Uh, the reason I don't is because they always disappoint me. You know, those kinds. You know, you, they're usually written, you know, somewhere like Vietnam or Taiwan or something, and they don't. People don't know English, so they use. They probably use a computer program. To translate and it and, and it never translates well. So, <laughs> and then they use little pictures too that I can never figure out. I mean, you know, those are, those are supposed to be for illiterate people, but I, uh, you know, I'm I'm illiterate when it comes to the pictures. I never can figure those things out. So, hmm, it's what? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Um, <laughs> but. You know, you get you you buy something, and at least it used to be, and that's the reason I brought this up because it, it may not be the case anymore. But it used to be you buy something from a manufacturer, whatever it was. Let's say it's General Electric, or or let's say it's Craftsman, you know, Sears Craftsman or something like that. And your manual was produced by them also. <laughs> so so uh, you know, they there they are, the one who who makes manufactures the product, telling you how to use the product. And I think that's the problem today is that. They're, they're subcontracting these manuals out, um, and so, so it's not working out so well. But with marriage, where, where, where does marriage have its origin? God, right? God instituted marriage. It, it's not, um, as some say, the, the product of, of uh, societal evolution, you know, we, we figured out over a period of time that it just worked better this way. No, God instituted marriage. Genesis 1 and 2, God instituted marriage. So, it makes sense then, doesn't it, that you've got God who is the, the author of marriage and God who is the author of the Bible. Um, it makes sense that, uh, that the Bible would be our instruction book for marriage. It's got a lot to say about relationships, period, uh, and especially the marriage relationship. All right, so I'm going to run through a few verses here. And again, we're just talking about the nature and purpose of marriage. And, and we'll be looking uh, for instructions along those lines as well. Uh, well. We'll come to that a little later on, though. So I'm going to run through a, f- a few passages here, and then we'll land on one in, in Ephesians and kind of stick there for a while. But but um, let's start with Genesis 1, verse 26. This is definitely foundational. And you'll see that as we, as we move along. But Genesis 1, 26, because this is where it began. Get my page to turn here. here. Okay, Th- then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, so God created uh, man, uh, Moses writes here, and, and called them, uh, He created them, uh, male and female. He created man and created him, male and female. Adam. The word for for man there is the word Adam. Adam. And that's what he winds up being called. Alright, let's just go a little bit down. Chapter 2, verse 18. Read 18 through 25 here. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, and incidentally, let me just, let me just interject something here while we're reading through this. This, this too is significant that, that when, when someone names someone else, I mean, that, that's indicating that the person who's doing the naming has authority. And you remember back just in, in uh, the verses we read a moment ago in chapter 1, he, he gives them dominion, right? Gives, he creates man, gives him dominion, and says, uh, subdue the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. So, uh, and, and then you see this, you know, throughout the Bible. That's why God would take someone like Abram, and then he says, you know, from now on your, your name is going to be Abraham. And, and God is uh, exercising authority there, and it's showing, it's, it's a way of showing who's the lesser and who's the greater. So Adam is doing the naming here. We are not uh, among the beasts. We're not, we're not one of them. Adam, the man, Adam, he is, he is a, um, a different. Uh, he's creation. Cre- he's created, yes, but he's, but he's, but he's different in essence. He's, he's not one of the beasts, and he has dominion over them. All right. So, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So here he has got. He's lining up the animals. He's naming all the animals, and this is one reason that that we're given this little uh, little fact here. Because the Lord has just said, I'm going to, it's not good that he should be alone. I'm going to make for him a helper. Now he's naming all the, all the animals, but there was not found a helper fit for him. And it seems like the Lord does that just to, just to demonstrate that he, he's got to, to have a, a, uh, a true helper, you know, someone sufficient, uh, that he's got to have some, uh, one of his own kind. He can't, can't just, you know, I know they say a uh, dog is man's best friend, but <laughs> but the truth is, uh, you know, to to have the kind of helper that, that you can have a really intimate relationship with, um, help grow and and help you grow and so forth, you got to have one of your own kind. So, among the beast, no one is seen fit for Adam. So, verse twenty-one, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. 
and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its, in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones. And this again is very important, uh, this uh, verse here. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, notice that how that transferred. Um, because first, you've got Eve is, is created, literally created from a part of Adam. So Adam looks at her and says, at last, you know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And, and so that's kind of an easy computation, right? I mean, you look at that and you say, okay, yeah, I can see that because she came directly out of him. God made her directly out of a, uh, from apart from Adam. So, yes, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But notice how that, that truth gets transferred to uh, those who were married from then on. I mean, you've got a general principle laid down here in verse 24. Therefore, a man... In other words, for this reason, because this was true, because, because woman was made from man and Adam said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, because of this, verse 24 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The two become one. And Jesus, uh, we'll see in a moment, quotes this um, and, and, and you know, as being as being so, as being true, as being God's intention, the two become one. It's an important uh, little equation to remember when you think about marriage. One plus one equals what? One. That's right. One. In fact, I'm gonna give you two equations. One. That's that's the first one. One plus one equals one. Now that one may seem a little odd because you know you think, well, if I Turn that in on my math test when I was in school. I, I would not have gotten a good grade. But in, in marriage, that's how it works. That's the way God has designed it to work. One plus one equals one. One man, one woman equals one, a one flesh union. Um, all right, and here's the other little equation. What is one divided by two? What do you get? One half. Yeah, now this one would have worked on your, on your school test. Everybody thought this would be true. Here, here's the thing, though. Because in our day, people think, when it comes to marriage, one divided by two is two again. But it's not. One divided is one half and one half. Now, the reason I bring that up is because, as Jesus will say later in Matthew 19, um, this is what God intended from the beginning. This is what Moses is spelling out here in, in, in Genesis 2. M- marriage is a special, it's, it's a covenant, number one. It'd be good to go through that sometime, not tonight, but sometime. Just to, I'll just say this about it. A, co- a covenant is a, is a special uh, relationship, a unique relationship. And marriage is a covenant relationship. 
And it's a special union, a covenant union between a man and a woman. Uh, so they, they, the two of them become one. Now, when you split that, you don't have two again because you've, you've become one. You split that again, then you've got a half and a half. And that's why divorce is so devastating. That's why death is so devastating. You know, you have a, a couple that love each other and, and you know, one, uh, of course, this is generally the case because uh, somebody's going to outlive somebody. So, so one of them loses the, the spouse and it's devastating because you, you're, you're in a one flesh union, special union. And it's intended um, not to be permanent. Sometimes we use the word permanent, but really that's not technically correct. It's not, it's not intended to be permanent, but it is intended to be lifelong, as long as you live. And even if both of you in, in the marriage relationship, even if both of you live to be 100 and you're married for 70 or 75 years, and then you get killed in an automobile accident so that both of you die at the very same time, um, the marriage isn't permanent because once we uh, leave this world, it's over. Jesus clearly says that, that uh, there's, there's no marrying and giving in, in marriage um, in the kingdom of God. We'll be, in that sense, we'll be like the angels. We're not going to be angels. I've seen a lot of that talk today. We're, we're not, we're not going to be angels. No, nobody dies and becomes an angel. That's a whole different being. But we'll be like the angels in that sense that we no longer uh, are uh, engaged in a, in a marriage relationship. It's for this lifetime, but it is supposed to be for this whole lifetime. Two become one flesh, become one, and then um, cling to each other for the rest of their lives. All right, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm just, I may move through this, this couple here a little quicker. Matthew chapter 5. Because all I'm trying to do here is give the sense of the of the uh, the uniqueness of it, and uh, and the that it is God ordained and that it is intended to be lifelong. That's why in the traditionally in the vows we say, "Till death do us part," or "Till death parts us." Matthew five verse thirty one and thirty two, where Jesus is asked about divorce. Or actually, he brings it up here. He's asking 19, verse, verse 31, chapter, Matthew 5, 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, that term sexual immorality there is the Greek word porneia. Uh, it's where we get our word uh, pornography, porn. Um, and the idea is just, just, just like it's translated here in my ESV, um, sexual immorality. So say any, any sex, uh, act, sexual activity outside of marriage, Jesus says, um, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. So, so he's saying... Uh, he, he, does, he does give that as an exception, but other than that, he says, you, you're, 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 you stay together. The, the marriage is lifelong. You're not, you're not to be uh, 
divided again. And he doesn't command it in the case with uh, adultery either. He just he just allows it. All right, Matthew 19. Similar, just a little bit. This one just a little bit more detailed. Here's where he is. He is asked. Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Kind of like, you know, today we have the no-fault divorce where any cause, you can just, we're done. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, that is Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, this ought to sound real familiar because we just read this. This is what Jesus is talking about, what we just read in Genesis 1 and 2. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So Jesus expounds on that a little bit, a little clarity. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. So, uh, he's saying again, this is how it was intended to be from the beginning. Um, you, You come together, you're in a lifelong union. Nobody should separate that. All right, so they raise another question. Why then, verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give her a certificate of divorce to send her away? In other words, they're saying it's written in the Mosaic Law. Why, why did Moses do that? Verse 8, He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, But from the beginning, it was not so. So Jesus goes back to creation to show what God's intent was from the beginning. From the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, same thing we saw in chapter 5, and marries another commits adultery. All right. So, Jesus appeals to... Interesting, isn't it? He appeals to Genesis one and two, to uh, to to as as a grounding for his teaching here um, against divorce and, and that uh, that marriage should be permanent. He's saying this is the way it's always been intended from the beginning. Man leaves his father and mother. By the way, that's important. Man man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. There's there's a new relationship going on. Um, none of these things are coincidental, by the way. If you, if you look at these things in our society today, the, 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 what I'm about to mention, the fact that the, these things are, are happening at the same time is related. Um, and, and what are these things? Well, you, you think of the, like the uh, marriage being destroyed, um, and this is not new. It's been going on for for. Uh, going on for a long time, but, but especially in our culture, it's, it's been really bad for the last couple of decades, or maybe three or four decades, where, where, uh, where, where marriage is just, um, 
been really uh, devalued and taken taken some hits. So it was more like uh, everybody was getting laxed about divorce and and adultery and so forth. But now we've we've graduated beyond that, and so you don't even you don't even have to marry a, a woman anymore, or you don't have to marry at all anymore. Um, you know, it can be same sex or, or just no marriage at all. And, and all of this has been gradually coming to here. But what I was going to say, you've you got the destruction of marriage, and at the same time you've got things like, like uh, young people living at home until they're 35. Those, those things are related. Uh, um, you know, and, and it all has to do with undoing the order that God um, intended in, in the beginning. Where, where someone comes of age, a man comes of age, leaves his, finds a wife, leaves his father and mother, and clings to his wife. And the two of them become one. So, so he had a family, with, and she did too, with, with, with mom and daddy. But when, when they're of age, they start a new family. And it's not that you cut everybody off and, and uh, you know, don't have anything to do with them anymore. That's a wrong approach too. But you, you begin to, to take responsibility and make your own, own way, make your own family and care for your wife and she for you and so forth. So, uh, you know, this is the way God designed it. It's the way it's supposed to pl- play out. So these things are under fire today. Uh, in fact, just growing up is under fire. Nobody wants to grow up anymore. All right, used to be, you know, kids couldn't wait. Can't, can't wait till I, you know, can't great, wait till I grow up and do this and do that. But now, you know, it's uh, everybody wants to be an adolescent until, uh, whatever that is, until uh, until they're 30 or 35 years old. And our society um, promotes that. Very strange. Okay. Matthew, whoop, I'm sorry, we just did that. Ephesians five. We'll probably spend the rest of our time here. Ephesians 5. And I love this passage, although it's very convicting. <laughs> but, but it is rich. Rich. Alright, so you got, we've got those foundational things in view, right? God created marriage and He created it um, as a special Union between a man and a woman, special uh, in in that you know they two become one. One plus one is one. Two become one. One flesh, Moses says, and Jesus reiterates one flesh. So that and that's why you know Jesus says what therefore God is joined together. Let not man separate. You're you're, you're ripping. A, a one flesh union apart there. Now, um, Ephesians five, Paul in in this section is is talking about various relationships. Um, of course, we're going to zero zero in on the marriage relationship here, and I'm going to start with verse twenty one, which I think is is um, often misunderstood. So that's one reason I want to start with it, but also because it is very important. Uh, for the rest of this section. We need to start with it anyway. Um, so here, I know it always feels kind of funny starting in the middle of a sentence, but Paul's sentences are long, so you have to do that a lot of times. Uh, let's see. 
Well, we'll go back to verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, uh, it's, it's probably it's actually probably good we started in verse 18 because he's describing the fullness of the Spirit. And so, here's part of it here. Um, submitting to one another. So, you, you, I mean, you can take that with, you know, be filled with the Spirit. Actually, be, be a, the idea is there, continual action. Keep on being, be being filled with the Spirit. How is that? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then verse 21, submitting to one another. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And and we're going to see that word again, that word reverence. Alright, so here's here's the way to not take that. And I'm I'm just bringing this up because it's so common. You, you'll hear it, uh, so I want to. That's why I want to deal with it. But a lot of people look at that and say, "You, you see, here's proof that uh, this is one of the passages they'll point to, and they'll say, Here, here's proof that there are no role distinctions between husband and wife, or men and women." Paul clearly says that when he's talking to the church, that you're to be submitting to one another. So everybody is to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, that, that sounds good on the surface. Just a cursory reading. Um, you know, you, you, could, you, you, could, you could let that pass. I want everybody submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But the problem with that interpretation is, is that he goes on to outline how, how this submission works out. And he uses <laughs> role relationships to do that. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Verse, um, well, we're going to be dealing with husband and wife, so let me skip that for now because I'll, I'll come back to that. That's where we're going to spend our time. Let's jump down to uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, because he's still... You know, forget, forget the chapter division. Just pretend like it's not there because he's still on the same thought. So he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. And then you look at verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. So do you see how the submitting is playing out now? It's it's not a it's not mutual everybody mutual submission. No, that would destroy everything Paul's saying here. He's telling us how to submit. Children, submit to your parents, and you can't. That's not reciprocal. You can't turn that around and say, "Well, yeah, well, he also means that parents should submit to their children." Bond servants, submit to your masters, and you can't. That's not reciprocal. You can't turn that around and say. Masters, submit to your slaves. It doesn't work. Paul is, Paul is fleshing out verse 21. Submitting to one another. What does that look like? Well, children submit to their parents. They obey their parents. Bond servants, they obey their masters. 
Now, the same is going to be true with husbands and wives. That's verse, in fact, that's how it follows up, right? In verse 22. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So I'm going to suggest again, that's not reciprocal. You can't, you can't reverse that in the way that Paul means it here and say, husbands, submit to your wives. Now, there may be a sense in which... Um, we, we do all submit to one another. But for what he's talking about here, he, he's definitely talking about difference in roles, difference in function. And, and you can't, it's not mutual. You know, in the same way that parents don't or should not, now today it's happening, I guess, but the same way that parents should not relate to their children the same way their children relate to them, and the same way that Masters should not relate to their slaves the same way that slaves relate to them. You think your employer would be kind of silly if if, uh, if um, he just kind of came out and said, you know, what do you want to do today? What do you feel like doing today, Ronnie? <laughs> I, I just, you know... I, <laughs> that would probably be <coughs> a, a common answer <laughs> for, for a lot of us. So, you know, that wouldn't make sense, right? He... We submit to our employer. That's what Paul is saying in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, he's saying, live out these roles. Fulfill these roles in a godly manner. Just as you reverence Christ. And, and now he begins to flesh it out. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. So he's, he's giving application for... Um, not, and by the way, all of this, again, is part of being filled with, be being filled with the Spirit. Be, we tend to think, and this may be the case sometimes, but we tend to think, oh man, to be, to be filled with the Spirit, you know, that would be like uh, some kind of uh, ecstatic state. Just kind of, where I'm just kind of floating around and, and uh, there's no problems. Everything is just, I'm just kind of giddy. No, Paul says, here's what, being filled with the Spirit is like. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. This is what being... And then, of course, uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is what being filled with the Spirit is like. It is, it is being submissive to God, ultimately. In other words, just doing things... God's way. All right, so with all that in mind, verse 22. Here's, here's where he, he goes into it with the, with the marriage relationship and the, and the role, clearly, role distinctions between husband and wife, just like with children and parents and slaves and masters and so forth. And Christ in the church, by the way. I left that one out, but that's, that's the major one. You, you, submitting to one another. The Christ doesn't submit to the church like the church submits to Christ. Okay? All right, we'll, we'll see that in a moment. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Notice that word. Well, actually, two words. Uh, I can count, but two words. Your own. Your own. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, the, the word um, for husbands there is... is uh, 
it, it's one of the Greek words for man, but it is often translated husbands because you can tell um, by the context, usually, if it means that or not. Here's, here's a place where it clearly does. So, so what I'm saying is, uh, you know, some out there who, who want to go to extremes with this would say things like, well, you know, women in general, women um, submit to men. Okay, well, that's not what Paul says. Paul says, wives, submit to your own man. Your own husband is the idea here. As to the Lord. For you know, There are different role distinctions, though, but, but we don't have time to go into all that. But even with uh, you know, other men and women uh, outside of the marriage relationship, we still have different roles, uh, different roles. But here, when he's talking about submission... Submitting in this way, he's talking about wives submit to your own husbands, not men in general, your own man. Wives submit to your own man as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, he's, he's, he's drawing an analogy here. Um, Christ in the church, comparing that to husband and wife. Husband and wife, Christ in the church. He's using that analogy. So just like Christ is the head of the church, the man is the head of the woman. Or we could say, to be a little more specific, the husband is the head of the wife. Now this is one reason that mutual submission stuff don't work. Because you know, I, when I think about me or us as a church being in submission to Christ, um... You know, that's, that's good, and, and of course that's what the Scripture teaches us. But when you try to make that mutual church submit to the Lord and Lord submit to the church, no, that's ridiculous. You can't, you can't turn that around. And so when Paul says the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, he's, 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 he's drawing a parallel. In other words, the, the marriage relationship is something like the relationship between Christ and the church. Just as Christ is the head of the church, the man is the head or the husband is the head of the wife. That's not mutual. Those are two different roles. Alright, so wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, uh, his, the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Alright, so that's what he means by submitting to one another in verse 21. Again, notice he's not saying, yes, Christ should also should submit to the church. No. When he says submitting one to another in verse 21, he's meaning um, in the ways that God has ordained, you know, according to the, the various roles. Is that making sense? You getting that? Okay. Alright, now, husbands, verse 25. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her 
by the washing of water with the Word. Okay. Um, It's the highest standard. (laughs) Love your husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Extremely important because he doesn't just say, husbands, love your wives. We, we could kind of take that and put our own definition to it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm loving her. Um, no, he gives us a standard. Same way that he does um, with a wife when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Um, and, and what he's saying there, just as the church submits to Christ, he gives us a standard. Christ, uh, Christ is the head of the church. So, husband is the head of the wife. Now, he's giving a standard for um, spousal love in, in the case of the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So, so there's the, the, the job description for husbands. Love the wife as Christ loved His church. Now, he doesn't even just stop there. He, he, uh, he spells it out for us in case we're wondering, well, now, I wonder exactly what that looks like. Well, um, he gave himself up for her. And what always comes to mind here is um, Philippians 2, where Paul says he was, in being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. The, the Greek there is literally he, he poured him, he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. In other words, what Paul is describing there is, is, is when the incarnation, when Jesus left the glory of heaven, the glory of His fellowship, intimate fellowship with the Father, and became a man. He was in the form, being in the form of God, He emptied Himself of His glory and took on the form of a servant. And then... Um, was obedient even unto death. I mean, he, he endured the suffering of the cross. Why did he do that? For our sake. Now, he, he emptied himself. He sacrificed himself. He laid his glory aside, came, offered himself as a sacrifice for us, for the church. So that's the kind of love we're talking about here. He gave himself up for her, verse 25, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word. So, in other words, his Christ, Christ's purpose, you know, His, his ministry, uh, you could say His service that He's performing for His bride was all about her, is all about her sanctification, cleansing, washing. So, He, he does what He does to make her Beautiful. It's not dogging her. He's not beating her down. Everything he does is for her good and for her um, edification, for her building up. To make her, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. We're there for glorious, you know, to make her glorious. So, So what... Christ is about with His bride is, is um, setting his own, laying His own glory aside to make her glorious. There's the model for 
Husbands, lay your own glory aside in an effort to make your wife glorious. In an, in an effort to... to uh, you know, now, we have to bring this down to the human level, but so, so Christ can sanctify us. Obviously, I can't sanctify my wife, but you know what I can do uh, in, in a spiritual sense? I mean, I can't sanctify her, but you know what I can do? I can help her in her sanctification process. Can I? I, could, I could work for her sanctification, just meaning that I would, would, uh, would, like Christ laid His glory aside for us, meaning that I would lay my life down, lay it aside for her well-being, for her good, whatever, whatever is necessary to help her grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. That's essentially what Paul is saying, is this is the ministry of the husband to the wife. So, wives, submit to your own husbands as the head. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church so that He might present her to Himself in splendor. It goes on to say in verse 27, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And, and, and really, here is something that's mutual. In, in, in other words, the reason that a woman would submit to her husband um, ultimately is in, in pursuit of his holiness to help him be holy and then the same other, other way around the reason a man would love his wife like Christ loved the church ultimately is in pursuit of her holiness to, to do what's best for her to make her more godly so, so I mean that's, that's what we're, we're working at with each other working to make each other more Godly. In the same way, verse 28, so right after he said, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, you know, this is what Christ has done for the church. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, when you think about uh, the body of Christ as a metaphor, who, who is the body of Christ? Church, right? Church. So, so what he's talking about here, first he's talking about how Christ um, gave himself up for the church. Now he's, he's going into this body metaphor. In other words, what he's saying is, th- this is Christ taking care of his own body, the church. And who doesn't do that? He doesn't take care of their own body. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife now, this is, this is, you know, really a profound statement here. I mean, this, this one we could dwell on a while. <laughs> he who loves his wife loves himself. You remember what Adam said when he saw Eve? At last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. And Jesus expounds on that a little bit and says, so they are no more two, but one flesh. So Paul says, he who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Those uh, two words are worth um, 
contemplating too. We don't have time really tonight to spend on them, but notice how he describes Christ dealing with the church, nourishes and cherishes. And that's what he's saying. uh, That's how a husband should uh, treat his wife, nourishing, cherishing her. Because, verse 30, because we are members of His body. He nourishes and cherishes us because we are members of His body. And I, I heard Brother Carl say one time, you know, he said, I take medication three times a day so that I can get old. Um, and I find, you know, now I'm doing that. You know, I mean, I'm taking stuff, um, trying to, and I don't do everything I ought to be doing, but to some extent, I'm, you know, I'm trying to take care of my body. Well, Paul says that's what Christ does. He takes care of the church because we are members of his body. Now, verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. He's quoting that from Genesis. Hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Boy, there's a whole lot more that could be said here, but let me just sum it up with this. What are you saying in that last little part there? Verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, when, when Adam, back in Genesis, says, about Eve, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Paul says that's a mystery, and it's, and it's talking about Christ and the church. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought it was talking about Adam and Eve. Adam, and Adam was saying this about Eve. He was, and it is. It is about, it is, you go back where we read earlier, it is about Adam and Eve. And it's about you and me. Jesus makes that clear. Matthew 5, Matthew 19. It applies to us. It applies to every married couple. But what Paul is saying is, the, the, and I'll, I'll say it this way, that the, the marriage relationship pictures something else. That's the mystery. No longer a mystery. It's revealed now. I mean, he's revealing it to us here. But the marriage relationship between one man and one woman, this is one reason it is so extremely, extremely important and why perverting it is, is so horrific. The, mar- the marriage relationship, and remember Jesus said this is the way it was from the beginning. From the beginning it was not so. And He takes them back to Genesis 1 Paul takes us and 2, and Paul takes us back to Genesis 1 and 2 here to show us God's original intent. What was it, Paul says? That marriage between one woman... And one man, where they join and become one flesh, is a picture, an image of the relationship between Christ and His church. Christ the head and His bride, the body. And marriage pictures that. One man, one woman, joined together, one flesh. It's a mystery, Paul says. It refers to Christ and the church. So, God's 
purpose in marriage is to mirror the relationship between Christ and His church. And that's why it is so important that we get it right. And that's why, by the way, not anything is marriage. They can call it marriage, but it's not marriage. God, God is the author. He's the inventor of marriage. He's the definer of marriage. It's one woman, one man, for a purpose. That purpose is to show the world, to show the world the glorious relationship between Christ and His church. Every marriage ought to be a reflection of the glorious relationship between Christ and the church. People ought to look at the married couple and say, that's amazing, that kind of unity, that kind of love, that's amazing, that's incredible. Because it reflects, it mirrors the union between Christ and the church, the head and the body. That's, so that's the purpose of marriage. I mean, that's, that's, when we think of relating one another, uh, relating to one another in marriage, um, that's the goal. To mirror the relationship between Christ and the church. So, our prayer should be, I think, God, in, you know, enable us to honor You in our marriage. We want Your glory seen by the world in our marriage. Well, that's just kind of the foundation. We didn't make it to the fountain and the focus, but Lord willing, we'll come back to that uh, next time. Any, any comments or questions on any of that? All right. It's an awesome gift. <laughs> Marriage is from the Lord. All right, let's let's pray and uh, and we'll dismiss. Father, again, we thank you for your word and we and we thank you for this uh, for this awesome gift and for um, creating us and the roles that you've assigned us to uh, such a way to reflect something of your nature and character. And Lord, um, thank You for empowering us with Your Spirit that we, may, uh, that we may do that, that we may desire to honor You and that we may be empowered to do it. Lord, may with every, with every married couple represented in this room, may the world look at us and see a, a, a reflection of the relationship of Christ and the church so that You are honored and glorified. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.